The Arcade Report is a Final Plank media production, and you can find more of our stuff over at finalplank.com. Thank you for listening. Trigger warning. Addiction. Depression. Suicide. Murder. Please only listen if you have the mental fortitude to listen to a tough topic for many. Thank you. This is Nikhil Chodimala. He's a special friend of mine that I've given plenty of love to in other episodes for his show, Cultural Lenses. To the online world, he is known as LR11, but here, he is someone who understands the powerful draw of gaming and the hazards that await you if you get too close to the sun. Hey, what's up? My name is uh, Nick Hill Chodimella, otherwise known as LR11, um, but you can call me LR or Nick, as Tyler does, um, and I'm happy to be here. Uh, not that I'm actually here. This is just a recording that I, I sent in. Anyways, I'm here to talk about, a little bit about some of my experiences with gaming addiction. When Tyler first uh, pitched the possibility of doing this as an episode, um, he, was, he was questioning the relevance. and especially in relation to a show and and what i told him was um you know it's it's really up to you to decide uh with, with your show what's relevant and how you want to what kind of information you want to present what you want to talk about um and while this might be a little bit off the track of your typical kind of um historical um informational kind of script and this is a little bit more emotional i think it's still relevant because this is gaming addiction and all the other um controversies around gaming has has plagued it throughout its entire life like we're talking about satanism or um it being linked to uh increased gun violence um i i, I think it's very relevant so that's kind of why i i wouldn't say i pushed i wouldn't say i'm the reason for this but um i told him i think it's an important topic and I have been lucky myself i could talk to you about what how long i've been gaming and all the things i've done and how many hours i've spent uh but i want to talk specifically about what's happened over the last couple of years um i've been fortunate in general to not fall susceptible to um throwing my life away essentially because it is it, that's kind of essentially what any kind of um, and this is from a very general, very blanket, kind of very broad view, but that's generally what any kind of addiction is, is it's this obsession of this one thing that kind of completely takes over your life. You stop caring for yourself. You stop, um, caring for, you know, maintaining the relationships around you. You're not cooking, you're not cleaning. All you do and everything, whether you make money, it all revolves around this one thing. And, you know, until a couple of years ago, I didn't really have... A lot of responsibilities and responsibilities started, you know, piling up just in general life responsibilities. Um, and there's definitely times um, historically and even still now where gaming is more so than an escape has recently evolved into being my point of contact with a lot of people, with a lot of my friends. Socially, that is how I spend my time. That is how I've I've um, developed 
that um, um, quality time that I need, especially throughout a pandemic. I, I, I would argue that the pandemic kind of drove me further into wanting to like put a put a sh- push aside, like going out and doing things, which was already difficult anyways. But it it pushed me to put aside <clears throat> in person activities and all these other things so that I could sit down and play with my friends. My friends who are across the world, my friends who are in the States, different time zones. There's this one thing that we're still able to connect over. And that's really what it's, that's really what makes it difficult for me is when there will be some days, maybe, maybe I'm out where I'm out on a walk or I'm out at a dinner on occasion. I will think, damn, I really wish I could be home playing Valorant with my boys right now. Um, but like I was saying, fortunately, I've not had that level of dependence or addiction. So it's 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 been both a blessing and a curse where I've, I've been able to still take care of myself in many ways. But also when the game comes out, like Cult of the Lamb came out recently, um, within, within, within 48 hours, I put 20 hours into it. Such a good game. Um, you know, I'll have my moments. I'll have my, my, you know, a couple of days like Cult of the Lamb or I'll have like... I'll prioritize prioritize wanting to spend my nights playing Valorant with the normal group of guys that I have been playing now for the last two, three years. And the pandemic has really, like, made that such a foundational part of my socializing. Um, social life. Socializing? Social, social life. Where we have group chats, where um, I'm in constant communication with my friends, even when we're not gaming. Like, it's really turned this online community, no matter how big or small, that I can always rely on. Um, where we've gone from like just talking about the game to now we're talking about like actual things. If I'm having a really bad day, I have these people that I can tell them about. And instead of um, yelling at me for being the inconsistent player that I am, they'll take it easy on me that day. So it's it's my my experience has been kind of bittersweet. I guess is a good way to put it. Um, and and it just takes some mindful. Um, like looking at yourself in a mindful way and the way you spend your time and habits to kind of work around how you want these different things to fit in your life and to understand what's kind of taking away from the things that you want in your life. But um, I, 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 I truly hope for that anybody who's listening to this and is struggling with um, video game addiction or addiction in general that you have people who you're willing to try and reach out to and talk to about it because sometimes it's easier to ask for help and to do things with help um but you know i mean i, I could uh, going back to the the more uh, relevant topic i could honestly talk to you about how i've spent um some of my early university days waking up at like 9 a.m on a saturday sitting my down on the couch at um um 10 a.m and then just playing all the way till 3 a.m um yeah, good times. <laughs> good times. But uh, I hope that was helpful from a more milder case of gaming addiction where it's a lot more manageable, a lot more maybe realistic. Um, and from a perspective not used for escapism, but used to um, keep myself socially engaged. My name is Tyler Vitito. And I've been addicted to video games for most of my life. I wanted to make that one the first things known in this episode. 
I understand this may mean that a lot of things that I say can be considered biased, projected, or otherwise subjective, but I'll do my best to wade through what is definitely a sensitive topic. I know that better than a lot of people, because I let video games, at one point, rule and destroy my life when I was on the wobbly track to success. I hope to share critical information to those using primary sources from real studies that aren't meant to vilify or terrify people who struggle with gaming addiction, as well as directly connect you to people who share this prohibitive phenomena of what the World Health Organization describes as gaming disorder. Blech. A lot of people hate labels, especially things that take a toll on their mental health. But it's important to remember that putting a mark on the map isn't meant to target you. It's meant to show a start to a pathway to a better you. It's also important that there's no clear-cut definition as to whether or not you are addicted to the game or simply play it a ton. People who worry their hypochondriacs with Google searches for symptoms as their kryptonite? Fear not. The World Health Organization might have a definition to recognize it, but its fellow gamers and a new age of doctors that know how to recognize, treat, and otherwise handle when things get out of hand. I am not a doctor, nor can I offer medical advice in good confidence. What I can do, however, is introduce you to people like Alo Kanogia, also known as Dr. K. He's a Harvard graduate in psychiatry who fought a terrible case of gaming addiction in his college years, and he now aids people like you and me in discovering how these things occur, and how to be equipped for the signs that you're slipping. This episode will help show what the many shades of addiction to gaming looks like, how to recognize steps that lead you towards the critical stage, and how to recover into a healthier you. I've had many gamers close to me deny they've ever experienced such behaviors, despite demonstrating abnormal activities right in front of me. Some were too embarrassed to describe or recognize it, and some simply refused to respond. It is estimated that in this age, around 90% of teenagers play some form of gaming through either a console, PC, or mobile device, and that's perfectly okay. I would be a hypocrite if I didn't encourage anyone to enjoy video games. That's the thrill and appeal of it, right? Numbers have been thrown around different studies, so I can't say this with concrete confidence, but it is estimated that around 3% of gamers in general are in the critical stages of gaming disorder. According to WHO, the starting stages of gaming disorder comes from the following. Impaired control over gaming, meaning it becomes too difficult to stop playing when it feels natural to step away to do other activities. Increased priority is given to gaming over other activities to the extent that gaming takes precedence over other interests in daily activities, and continuation or escalation of gaming despite the occurrence of negative consequences. The meme phrase, go outside and touch grass, is literally tied to insult those who have played a game so much that they must have forgotten any outdoor activities to progress so much. People who appear to be at their computer extensively are referenced as no-lifers, as it appears their social life only extends beyond that of the controller or keyboard. It's damning to think that these insults often drive those who are really struggling to continue their habit, forming a feedback loop between negative and positive influence between the game and other gamers to advocate continuing to play the game. I've seen people decide that they need to pee in bottles and jugs so they wouldn't have to step away from the computer. I've seen people consider, and decide, to call in sick so they can keep playing a game. It's not uncommon in my own circle of friends 
to decide that it's better to cheat as a justified means to progress in a long-term game, just so they don't have to spend even more time playing. Seriously, that's just being addicted to a game with extra intelligent steps. I mean, congrats, you found a way to circumvent your own struggle by compromising your morals in terms of service, but you still don't think it's time to take a break? Doesn't feeling the need to cheat make you wonder what is causing it in the first place? Think about it. I have. This is the Arcade Report, and I hope those too timid or otherwise unable to face the subject will continue to listen. This is the story of tens of thousands. This is my story, and perhaps this is your story too. I've listened, and now it's your turn to not just be mindful, but have foresight into your own life. In the summer of 2009, a youthful, uninhibited me left my home for many years in Bay City, Michigan to take the hour and a half trek west to the little college town of Mount Pleasant. It was my first time free of the constraints and pressure of my family, having dealt with depression revolving around my chaotic family structure and an inability to socialize with many of my fellow students. In essence, my immediate family had a lot of suckiness around them, and I was a weirdo by social standards. Now, in the campus of Central Michigan University, I had my own laptop, a dorm room shared by a guy named Johnny, and a bathroom less than 10 feet away. I also had a meal pass that let me eat whenever I want, whatever I want, however I want. It was bliss, bankrolled by a bunch of scholarships that I got from my remarkable grades, and from an insurance claim to the tune of around $60,000 from when my leg was torn apart by a riding lawnmower. In retrospect, I realized since my uncle took control of my large funds and I was being pampered in every place but the lecture hall, I never had to think about money or discomfort for the couple of years in the university that I had. I failed to consider the scary life outside a spoiled world, as if I was still under the easy life care of my grandparents taking it as a blessing and my first vacation to explore myself, one of the first things I enjoyed was World of Warcraft. The game was deep into the expansion of Wrath of the Lich King, and at the height of its popularity. The day I discovered my usefulness as a tank player for my friends and strangers, I felt vindicated. I felt wanted. Accepted. Months would go on where I would wake up half an hour before class, run off to do the usual niceties of a student, fly by the cafeteria and scarf some food down, and rush back to my laptop, ready to sink another 6-10 to 10 hours into the game. When people approached me and wanted to hang out outside the classroom, I would deliberately sabotage our first hangout to justify it wasn't ever worth it. I had a friendly but conservative Catholic woman ask if I could have coffee with her after a Spanish class, and midway into the chat, I lightly dropped the lie that I was Jewish. She never spoke to me after that, and I told myself it wasn't worth my time to chat with somebody who probably never played a game in their life, and especially someone who was anti-Semitic. In reality, chances were, I probably came off as a social recluse. 
She pitied me for acting so odd as a loner, and then my nasty behavior came as a spit in her face. It was just one of many. The people of Oldham, however, which is the name of the server at WoW I was on, were my new family. No matter what time I was on, there was always someone there waiting and ready to play. Sometimes there really wasn't and I'd just sit there for hours waiting for that fact to change. I began learning to raid with my guild and my fanatical love for WoW took a huge turn as I began breathing and drinking guides, videos, even going as far as lying about my lack of knowledge of certain bosses just so I could get invited. I spent an hour learning the mechanic and half an hour hunting for the perfect group, that's the same thing, right? By my second semester, things were beginning to slip here and there. Staying up late until the wee hours just because I could was a given, but it was a matter of dragging myself through life and crashing for a couple hours, or more commonly, use an energy drink before repeating this. Night after night. One time, with a morning chemistry class waiting for me in a few hours around 9am, I went to sleep knowing I'll just shoot up, swig some Mountain Dew, and fly through the lab with the lucid mindset of a dream. It was always fun when I could pull it right off. To be in that twilight limbo where your mind and body did the motions, but you were checked out and time passed by in droves. When I finally came out of my hazy state though, I realized that it was 3pm, and my body, so exhausted from the caffeine and powering through the long nights, had finally had enough and simply put me in a state where I could have slept through a fire alarm. I was groggy, embarrassed, and confused. Playing hooky was always a sin back in high school and it felt no different here. When I dragged myself into the shower and decided today was a mental health day, I realized that the big raid was tonight with the whole guild and I needed to eat before it happened. It felt like I was rushing a timetable just so I could act normal behind the microphone. These people were the only ones I had appearances to keep up with, both in the game and trying to be pleasant to have around. Mechanically, I could have been easily replaced as a tank, but I wasn't going to let that happen without a fight. I wanted to be the best tank player on the server and lead every charge into the fight. Another week went by before it happened again. I felt bad, but with no one to really scold me, it was left to me to decide if I should feel guilty or not. And I didn't. Through one reason or another, I was thinking on the game's terms as a way the reason why it was okay that I skipped class. No one saw my grades, and in the semester I had three other roommates now that each had their own issues to care for. It felt liberating for a brief moment that I didn't have anyone breathing down my neck and telling me to be smart and get good grades. My grading system was my health bar now, and I needed to get it bigger to take more damage. I spent the better part of two months not attending a single class after that. Going out with my backpack to give my roommates the idea that I was functional, I would scurry off for breakfast for an hour or so and then slink off to sleep, and by the time they came back, I was on my futon with my laptop at the ready. There's no doubt I was trapped in my first ever case of being addicted to gaming during that second semester. The first one I could argue that since I still did outside activities and attended my class, my 6-8 hours of World of Warcraft in a day wasn't nearly as concerning. I even found somebody I called my internet girlfriend named Peng from Thailand, who, <laughs> who I met online and found a connection of fascination. 
And being a nightbird certainly didn't hurt. I'm sure you can guess what happened, but I'll spell it out since people like hearing dismay from the perpetrator's mouth. My grades all dropped to failing. I got to beat the Lich King a few times and a fancy little title everyone can get nowadays in about 20 minutes, and then I failed out of college when the expansion cataclysm was happening. Can you imagine failing out of college because you wanted to play Cataclysm out of any of the expansions? I still have the whole ordeal imprisoned under lock and key in my head, even as I say this. The sheer way of destroying my entire education and future, alongside losing the most money I have ever had in my life, doesn't even register the magnitude in my mind. I paid almost 50 grand just so I could have an all-you-can-eat buffet for breakfast, my own room and privacy, and the ability to sink in over 1,000 hours in a game within a few short months. I'm talking to you now after having gotten married, with a child, a stable job, and a homeowner, so I guess you could say I did manage to pull out with a happy ending, all things said and done. That doesn't mean I'm free of it, however. To this day, I often need to check with myself, and occasionally my wife will be more than happy to expedite this process. Do I feel happy playing this game? Or am I just fulfilling a checklist to get a small chance for endorphins to kick in? If it's the latter, it's time to shelf it for a while. Video game addictions? Nah, I don't have that. No, <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, well, I'm Thomas. Um, thanks for having me here on the podcast, Tyler. Appreciate you. Um, so for those who don't know me, I'm a friend of Tyler's here. I am the barbering violinist on um, Twitch or Discord or social media. You can find me there. But I um, am a friend of Tyler's and uh, we met through video games. So uh, we've played games uh, together quite a bit before. And um, figured, you know, I had something interesting to say about video game addiction, apparently. So I don't I don't know, <laughs> but I'm going to go ahead and just share my story with it. It's a bit up and down and back and forth and a um, bit of a roller coaster with video game addiction and how I've coped with it, how I handle it. And um, this is just for me personally, how it's worked. Uh, I might not have anything like super substantial to say, but, you know, if anyone resonates with any of this or um, has any um, thoughts or questions about it, then cool. Go ahead and ask Tyler. <laughs> no, um, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Love you, Tyler. Um, so uh, I guess I'll just tell my story a little bit, but I have been playing video games uh, for pretty much as long as I can remember growing up. Um, my first gaming console that I remember having was a PlayStation 1. Uh, I shared that amongst my siblings and I, and we would all um, take five to ten minute turns uh, when we were growing up and then work on our homework or something um, while the other siblings were having games game time um, but yeah we would play like the original Toy Story game for literally five or ten minutes and then we would switch it off to the next sibling who we would try and beat levels together so I've been playing video games for a very very long time um, and uh, it was never really an addiction because um, at that time, it was 
um, monitored and kind of controlled by our parents. We had like set times that we could play. Um, and it didn't start out as an addiction. There were times where they said, you guys can go play if you want. And we would rather go outside and swim or go outside and play with our animals. Um, so it was never really like controlling um, until we moved into a very small city house where there was much less to do. It was not as safe outside. Um, and so inside uh, is where we would spend all our time. And I uh, remember um, after we... Um, got rid of the PlayStation, our parents had bought us all a Nintendo GameCube. And this is where the video game addiction happened. Um, my video game addiction showed up in the form of um, uh, Smash Bros. Melee and Kirby Air Ride and Custom Robo. And there was one more... I don't... I think it was just Mario Party? No, it wasn't Mario Party, but... Um, multiplayer games for the most part um games that i would play with my siblings and um we would get so focused and um intensely uh be into these games that we would play um for example for smash bros um uh, during like the regular school day or something that's all i would talk about with my friends um at school because that's what they enjoyed playing too but uh, they would tell me about how, uh, since we were younger, this was when I was like in fifth, sixth grade, um, they would tell me how at the time they would be the level nine bot or something like that. And I was like, whoa, I aspire to be that good one day. So I would go home and I would play with my siblings. We would fight and um, Smash Bros. That is, I would play that all the time. And it got to a point where I was only thinking about that during the day at school. Um, I would get home and uh, rush through my homework, uh, sometimes cheating on homework. Um, I would skip out on doing other chores around the house. And I just didn't want to do anything other than play games. And um, our parents were very, very busy at the time, so they did not regulate as much as they used to. Um, and we would often just go home, hop on games right after homework. And my parents would say like, hi, how was your day? But we were already like gone. And, um, we had like a side room, um, that was kind of on the, it was like, there was the garage that we had at our house. And then there was another side room on the other side of that, that we would often, uh, go into. That's where our game room was. And it was nice and peace and quiet for my parents while they were busy with the craziness of life, uh, for them. But we were just gone all day. The only time we would see my parents is when we would eat dinner, and then we would go back to playing games until bedtime. So it was pretty bad. <laughs> my addiction to games, we would have neighbors over and host like tournaments, and um, I lived and breathed Smash Bros. and Kirby Air Ride for the most part. Um, and it was, it got really, really bad because there was a time where um, my family would say, okay, you know, it's time to put that down, you know, go outside, get some exercise or like join a sports team or something. And we would throw tantrums. Um, we being my brothers and I, I've got a brother one year older and a brother one year younger. And the three of us would throw tantrums, um, and say, you know, this is not fair. Why would you send us outside? <laughs> it was pretty bad. Um, and this was when we were 12, 13 and, um, yeah, it was pretty bad. So, um, parents started, uh, monitoring much closer and setting aside set times for us to play games. But even then we would try to break outside that. And, um, outside of playing games, we would, um, I remember my brother, uh, younger brother and I making like a handmade game of 
um, Smash Bros. characters, we would turn uh, like the Smash Bros. Uh, fighting idea into a dice-based game. We would turn board games into games based off of video games, and we would create our own games using board game pieces or like Lego figures or things like that, but they would be focused on the video games that we would play. Um, so... And then uh, if we were to uh, try and practice our art or, um, you know, sketch, draw, um, even make music or something like that when my older siblings would, it would all be video game based. Um, I would sketch characters. I would um, spend time, um, uh, you know, thinking about games just uh, my next play session. I would plan out what exactly I was going to work on, um, that kind of stuff, what records I was going to set in the home run contest on Smash or something. So it was pretty bad. Um, <laughs> but at that time, we changed over and um, started getting more involved with sports. And thankfully, my siblings and I all were close in age to where we could join the same team. But then... Um, uh, we all got interested in different sports and my parents rule was, you know, uh, we can't split you all between different sports unless we're all in those sports. So I played baseball, soccer, um, and then also got a little bit involved with, um, badminton <laughs> actually. And that was very, very short lived, but, um, the baseball and soccer took over our lives a bit, um, and actually physically prevented us from playing games, which was very, very helpful, um, for us not to be as addicted to video games and that's the first time we ended up overcoming video games was um the video game addiction that we had was actually just from making ourselves busy with other things um as young teenagers um and it was uh yeah it was that was the worst video game addiction i think i've had um was to the point where we would throw tantrums and you know talk back to our parents which <laughs> obviously goes well um <laughs> but uh that was the worst i think i've had um was as a young teenager um just not knowing how to um manage time and that kind of stuff several people can relate to my story and perhaps it may even be you Several names in the video game community have stepped forward with their own similar tales, such as YouTuber Tone Loke. Not to be confused with the popular rapper of the same name. Known on his channel as Downward Thrust, he carries on to this day as a prolific video game reviewer with a sharp tongue and honest opinions of the titles that fall into his lap. With a MBA in business administration and a master's in marketing, Downward Thrust feels like the ideal person you'd trust with video games. But like many others, he too had to come to terms with his handling of games in his early years. This is his story. My first video game addiction came in the form of World of Warcraft. I began playing WoW when it launched in 2004, which would make me like 17 or 18 at the time. It was right when I was supposed to go to college and become an adult. It consumed me. I would sit in my room all day, every day, and this continued for years. I, I shrugged off the idea of ever going to college because I felt like I wouldn't have enough time to play my, you know, work warrior, and I fell into a really dark place. World of Warcraft ruined my motivation to leave home, finish college, and it ruined the relationship I had with a really lovely girl, actually, that I had been dating for four years prior to starting the game. Eventually, I was thrown out of my home by my mother, who could no longer support a guy who had no intention of living in the real world. Coming out of my room only to grab food, I was pasty, 
skinny, unhealthy, uh, a sulking mess of a human being. I had no friends, no future, and no money. I spent it all on my monthly subscription to World of Warcraft. Getting thrown out of my home, standing on the curb in the rain, with my bags sitting on the lawn, was one of the biggest wake-up calls I probably ever had, and to this day ever have had. I was scared, I was lonely, and I just had no place to go. I had $400 to my name and my gas tank was empty, so I went to the only place I really could. I drove across town to a local casino where I had played 1-2 No Limit to pick up some cash to pay on the reg for my WoW subscription. For the next two weeks, I gambled my way enough to afford a $67 hotel room each night. In the days that I lost, I slept in my car in the freezing cold winter outside in the parking lot. As I stared into the cold night, shivering, I reflected at how I came to be at this very moment. Hungry, broke, and sad, and very, very cold. It was video game addiction that I let carry me to this very dark and lonely place. Several years later, my second video game addiction episode would kick in. It came on at the worst possible time. After recovering from my prior homeless state and my WoW addiction, I went on to college, I got a job, and I stopped playing video games altogether. I was renting an apartment, I had a new girlfriend, and I was approaching graduating with a degree in economics. And that's when one of my friends introduced me to League of Legends, and my dog. I wish he had not done that that night. If I had to put a word to the letters LOL, it wouldn't be Laugh Out Loud or League of Legends. It would be longest obsession of my life. League of Legends was a game I played every day, 5 to 10 hours a day, and I began failing at life while doing it. I began skipping classes, I refused to leave the house, and I refused to go places with my girlfriend. Most of my friends in college stopped hearing from me at this point, and I stopped going out to school events and things that were once very important to me, and I even considered dropping out of college so I can play competitively. It became a habit, and I'd always find myself logging in every day without really realizing it. I played competitively during college, and when that was coming to a close, I realized I'd have to stop playing and start living the real life. It was the World of Warcraft situation all over again, where I refused to continue to live life, so I put it on hold in the only way I could. I ended up stumbling into my undergraduate's graduation alone and with no one there to celebrate with. I had stopped talking to people altogether and they had stopped talking to me. With a moment of sheer panic, I soon realized that I was going to have to go out into the real world and get a 9-to-5 job and that my league obsession was basically over. I was so addicted to the game that I made one of the most hasty decisions I have ever made. I ended up enrolling in graduate school immediately after graduation so that I can continue playing as a student and enjoying the benefits of financial aid, essentially so that I could continue playing League for 8 hours a day. Thus, I found myself in graduate school doing homework or reading articles online while I was queuing up for ranked matches of League of Legends, and then I'd pause the game, play it, and come back to my other duties thereafter. So I was kind of an MBA student by day and a professional League of Legends gamer by night. The weirdest part of my life has always been that I have hidden this addiction from everybody, even those closest to me. In a demanding graduate program, I had to basically throw on the slacks and the tie and carry that I am a people person mentality around. I convinced everyone, I even convinced myself at one point that I was normal, functional, uh, and outgoing. I was not. I was a gamer in disguise like Clark Kent or something. 
but I wasn't transforming into a superhero or something greater, I was devolving back into the lonely persona of a video game addict. I got a few jobs by faking this kind of businessman persona and charming the recruitment teams of many a corporation. It's as if I had an alternate reality, kind of an alternate personality. One minute I was an extroverted suit and tie professional, and then the next I was an introverted hermit crab addicted video gamer. But whatever personality I had on, I always managed to be likable and slip by undetected. I excelled in demanding business analyst roles and I was always loved by the companies I work for. Except one which leads me to the end of my story. After graduate school, my life could no longer be put on hold for video games. I had to be an adult and put that invisible cape away and that childlike person I was trying to hide. I took a job working at a very competitive firm where I was placed in a team. Unfortunately, my addiction to League of Legends had grown out of control by then and I was unable to hide it from anybody any longer. I started sulking at work and the cravings were eating at me inside like some unquenchable demon sitting in my stomach. I was late to work all the time because I was gaming in the morning and I was always leaving early so I could game at night. My work sucked and my boss was always getting on me to be better. I wasn't getting along with my team and they didn't like me. And you know what? I didn't like me either. I took a hard look at myself in the mirror that night. One of those times where you just stand there and watch yourself cry. I stared longingly at this hollow figure in front of me. And I had kind of a moment of clarity where I realized I can't stop running from myself. I ended up quitting my job the very next day. A few years later, I have woken up, or so they say. I'm no longer addicted to any video game, but there is still one unanswered question that I can't seem to get out of my head. What would life be like without this video game addiction that I went through? I could have gone on to have a family gotten married, bought a house by now, and heading to the top of some high-rise corporation. Would that have made me happier? Had more friends, a more meaningful relationship that lasted more than just a year, or a more fulfilling life? And you know what? The answer to that question, or all those questions, is yeah, actually. Video game addiction can ruin your life if you let it get out of control like I have. The truth is, I am lucky to be in a position where I get paid to talk about video games. I find it fun and creative and liberating. But behind the scenes, I'm still that guy that doesn't want to be Clark Kent anymore. I want to have a happier life with more people in it. Because I threw away that opportunity and shelled up from the world, and I just don't have that many people in my life that I can talk to or confide in. So this channel is one of the only things I have left. I use it as an outlet to make a connection to you, even though I don't actually know you. It makes me feel better to know that I have someone out there willing to listen to me. The point of this video was to portray that video game addiction can be life-altering and dangerous, and it's important to get your addiction under control before it's just too late. Accept who you are, but put some limitations on yourself. Whether or not you know Downward Thrust, his story, like mine and many countless others, starts the same and often ends the same. We throw ourselves and our problems into a world that voids our worries as our real life becomes troubled with turmoil. I think I have given enough evidence to show how important this subject is to me. And now it's time I show how important it is to the video game industry. We are, after all, the Arcade Report. 
In episode 4, in regards to 38 Studios, it was mentioned that massive multiplayer online role-playing games, or MMOs, have their thesis centered around the need to provide hundreds of hours of active content for someone to enjoy, and has been a prevalent staple of the genre since their inception in the 90s. With the ideal equivalent of an all-you-can-eat buffet, you paid a subscription fee and the entire world was yours to explore for a month. The sense that you need to get your money's worth, so to speak, was for many an open invitation to go hog wild and play as much as they could. For those who may struggle with anxiety and time limits, however, the sensation came a bit differently. Those who scraped together a few bucks each month would feel a sense of desperation as the end of each of the months would approach. And to others, the overwhelming desire to see the most of current content as some sort of wild-minded journey to the end. Some folks simply felt the need to grind levels and dungeons of a given MMO to make sure they were either caught up with their friends or even surpassed them. And the magnetic pull to the grind is a real sensation most of us can relate to. If an MMO pulled such strings, however, was this an intentional design of the developers? The answer was, unsurprisingly, yes and no. Chris Metzen, one of the key creators of the original lore of World of Warcraft, is often attributed to the quote that the main character of World of Warcraft is the world. Someone as legendary as Chris believed that the story tied was more with the world than that of the player in it. By telling a player that they weren't necessarily the main driving force of the original story of an MMO, they were able to create hundreds of thousands of pages of lore and backstory to literally anything, from a single item in a quest to a quirky NPC. Long roaming fields void of life were filled with theatrics of a war lost long ago, and areas underdeveloped were obscure in mystery until the right expansion came out. Couple these worlds with dungeons and raids ripe with story and loot that resetted each week, and you had a game that felt too impossibly huge to explore, let alone understand but understood many did, and the sense of accomplishment was sought after when rare prizes, often bland in context, would become bucket list goals after a strange glow or a few pages of lore gets tied to it. I still remember the months I spent trying to get that rare mount from Stratholm or Sulfurus, Hand of Ragnaros, just so I could have the satisfaction that I personally held the final part of the story few others did. Such strategies of content would get looped out like dangling carrots, and we hungry steeds were ready to take the bait. So we know MMO companies like Blizzard, Jagex, Sony, ArenaNet, Square Enix, and many more had no problem letting their customers delve into their own vices. But have they ever recognized gaming addiction as an ongoing issue? This one was easy, with an astounding yes. And the response is very corporate because, well... Most of these MMO owners are corporate businesses. The most popular response appears to be that their games can be enjoyed with minimal time commitments, and it's never their intent for their players to play their games to the exclusion of other activities. Heck, even looking outside of MMOs for a second, Stanley Pierre-Louis, CEO of Entertainment Software Association, makes it clear as a video game lobbyist for the US Congress that the video game industry is very capable of moderating themselves. Thank you very much. Wait, 
that's not what we asked. We were wondering if you recognize any needed steps with gaming addiction or mental health tied with video games, can't you? One of the things we're proudest of as an industry is taking responsibility for providing parents with the ability to limit time, limit money spent, limit internet access, and limit the kinds of games that come into their households. After digging into this issue, Stanley Pierre-Louis is the chief lobbyist for the video game industry. He says that no matter how obsessively a gamer might play, the games themselves are not the problem. Are video games clinically addictive? Absolutely not. There are underlying issues that some users may have, but video games aren't the cause. Video games are actually a positive influence on our health, on our education, as well as entertaining. We spoke to many young people, including teenagers, who say they play six, eight, ten hours a day. Would you allow your child to play that much video games? I would look at this in a larger context as opposed to simply the hours. Is there any number of hours that would concern you in your own home or in, in anyone else's home? I think it's a family decision and a family context. We asked Pierre-Louis about what we'd been told by numerous industry insiders, that today's games are often being designed like casinos, with the intent of keeping gamers hooked. Are video games designed to keep young consumers playing as much as possible? Here's what I'll say to, your, to, to, to the question you're asking. Um, clearly, all products and services want to engage right. uh, their users, their audiences in positive ways. But your products are actually penetrating the brains of millions and millions of young people. Don't you have a responsibility to exercise some restraint in the interest of kids who can't control it. One of the great things about our industry is we're leaders in self-regulation. That's true of providing uh, tools for parents and consumers to limit time spent and money spent on devices. Uh, and it's one of the hallmarks of our industry. But you're telling these parents that video games aren't the problem, that they aren't causing a health problem. That's what you're telling the world, right? I'm not providing the diagnosis. What I'm saying is that the medical consensus doesn't support that as a conclusion. It doesn't mean that people shouldn't get the help that they need. So, uh, yeah. If you're unsure what the Entertainment Software Association does, and I'm going to say ESA for short from now on, then let me say that they're currently the biggest American clubhouse for all the heavy-hitting video game publishers in the country and the world. Capcom, EA, Konami, Microsoft, Bandai Namco, Nintendo, Sony, Squeenix, Take-Two, Ubisoft, and Warner Brothers all have their special little seats in this company, meant to act as a self-policing force for the entire industry. They are also the ones that oversee the ESRB rating in games, and they also run E3. So you can thank them for how well that's been going. The person whose voice you just heard earlier, Stanley Pierre-Louis, represents the overall reflection of big names' opinions on whether or not they should observe their game's effects on individuals. Out of all the games I listed here, I can only tell you that Nintendo is the only one I personally remember that reminds you to take a break every now and then. You'll find no help in these waters, but there is one company I want to give recognition for going above and beyond. Bungie, famed creators of Halo and Destiny, took a step where few others would. 
If you have the time to see for yourself, feel free to search bungie.net forward slash mental health, a link you will often see in their loading screens in Destiny. There you'll find that they list every single thing you could think of and resources to assist you with your needs. Suicide prevention, self-harm, addiction, anxiety, bullying, burnout, depression, and even imposter syndrome. On top of this, they promote two big names that I encourage anyone, anyone listening to this, to give a shot. Guardians Mental Health and Take This. TakeThis.org focuses broadly on mental health challenges while still focusing on the gaming aspect of these struggles. Offering a variety of tools to equip you with, such as live streams focused on your well-being, community spaces to reach out with others with similar struggles, ambassadors who actively stream and help promote hope and acceptance. Guardians Mental Health, or GuardiansMH.org, is a nonprofit that cuts the bullcrap you're used to facing with corporate machines wanting to label and number you, and instead provides a tailored first step to becoming a healthier person. Given their name, expect a little Destiny flair for our fellow Guardians. They will mail you, for free, a mental health kit packed with love and information, as well as a cute coloring book of your favorite Destiny characters, and more. I know some people may reason, and I will give them this, that they're not in the dangerous territory of losing control. Some people listening may just be here because they want to listen for empathy. Or maybe you're just on a car ride somewhere. Don't worry, I have someone that everyone can appreciate. Dr. Alo Kanojia, or known as simply Dr. K, or for his YouTube channel, Healthy Gamer GG. With a doctorate in psychiatry and currently an instructor over at Harvard Medical School, he's come back with a love for gaming much like us, as well as a well-spoken series of videos that help show you how to recognize triggers, how addiction begins and works, and how to help yourself handle the desire to game in an unhealthy manner. Here's an audio clip from him now. So the first question that most gamers ask me is, do I have a problem? Am I actually addicted to video games? And that's actually the best question to start off with. How do you know whether your gaming is just a normal part of your life, it's a way of having fun, it's a form of recreation, or is it a problem? Is it actually an addiction? And it kind of makes sense. I mean, it's a tricky question because gaming actually offers us a lot of positive things in life. If we think about it, gaming serves as a form of recreation. It's something that you do with your friends. Uh, it serves as a way to de-stress and actually cope with problems. It serves as a way to connect with other human beings and form relationships. And so it's a completely reasonable question to ask, you know, is the gaming that I do, like when I play, let's say, a whole weekend of World of Warcraft after a week of finals, is that a problem? When I game for 12 hours a day on Saturday and Sunday after studying my ass off for the semester, is that a problem? And it's, it's a great question, and I think at the end of the day, the answer is relatively simple. If it's causing a problem, it is a problem. In psychiatry, we, we have one very simple line that if you cross that line, we say that you've got an illness. And that line is simply, does it impair your function? Does it actually get in the way of something that you wanna do? So if we take a look at, for example, de-stressing, we see that you know, if I have a long day and I go home and I play video games, 
that's kind of a healthy coping mechanism. But let's say that I have a, a job that's super stressful and then I go home and I play games for hours to kind of decompress from that job. And the next day I go to the job and it's super stressful and I come home and I decompress. And that goes on for days and weeks and months. That's a problem if you're not changing your life in any way. If the gaming is getting in the way of you talking to your boss about why your job is a problem, if your gaming is getting in the way of you trying to find another job that's not so stressful, then I'd say it is a problem. If your gaming, it's fine to use gaming as a coping mechanism in a way to de-stress from your day, but if you're not actually dealing with the sources of your stress, if you're not actually improving things, and you're kind of ignoring a problem or letting a problem fester, then I think gaming is a problem. So just to sum up, you know, if you guys are asking yourself the question, am I addicted to video games? I would ask you, is your get gaming getting in the way of things that you want to do? Is your gaming getting in the way of your academic performance? Are you not doing as well in school as you should be because you're playing video games? Is it getting in the way of your professional success? Are you not getting promoted? Or are you not looking for a better job? Or are you not switching fields? Are you not growing in a professional capacity because you spend so much time gaming? Is gaming interfering with your physical health? Are you gaining too much weight? Should you be losing weight? Is gaming getting in the way of your sleep? Or do you, are you not able to run a mile comfortably? If gaming is impairing, if you're spending so much time gaming that you're not actually taking care of yourself physically, that's a problem. Does gaming create problems in your relationships? Are you not able to find a romantic partner like a girlfriend or something like that because you spend so much time gaming? Is gaming stressing, creating stress between, let's say, you and your parents? They think you spend too much time gaming. You think you spend just the right amount of time gaming. Is there some problem that's happening in your relationship because of your gaming? If the answer to any of those questions is yes, then I think your gaming is a problem. The most subtle problem that a lot of gamers actually end up with is actually that gaming prevents their creative pursuits. So I've met a lot of gamers who are really smart, and I'm sure you guys all, all of you have either a great idea for a video game, or a great idea for a startup, or you have some sort of great idea for a novel that you want to write, or you have this sci-fi TV show that you think would be absolutely awesome, but you never actually work towards it. You never actually sit down and start to write the opening scene of your TV show because you spend so much time gaming. And I think that that's actually the most dangerous and insidious part of a video game addiction, is that it actually prevents you from becoming the person that you actually want to be in this world. Sure, the game is fun and you enjoy playing it, but five years down the road, are you going to be happy with where you are? Or would you have rather spent some of that time doing something else? And if the answer to that question is yes, I would rather have spent my time doing something else, then you've got a problem, and that's what I'm here to help you with. If you want to see his work, check out his channel on YouTube, HealthyGamerGG, or his website, HealthyGamer.gg. With many people and programs always there to assist you, however, it's still not enough. Only the person who is fighting the problem, perhaps you, can take the step forward. Whether that step is modifying some hard decisions you made in your life, 
or continuing a destructive and harmful behavior is on you. I hope you consider taking steps in the right direction, however, because the next story is a sad tale of someone who chose destruction until the very end. Let me tell you about Daniel Patrick. It was October of 2007, in a small home in Brighton Township, Ohio. 16-year-old Daniel was having a bit of a rough spot in his life. Friendly and fun to be around, according to his friends, he found himself to be a big fan of the Halo series after a snow-skiing injury crippled his spine, and a staph infection cooped him out at home for the better part of a year. His father, however, being a deeply devout Pentecostal minister for the local church, did not take kindly to this development. Daniel would play almost 8 hours of Halo 3 almost daily at his friend's house, as the game just came out a month ago. This newfound schedule of gaming, coupled with the fact that it showcased a lot of angry aliens being shot down, had upset the father, Mark Petrick, to the point that he had to put his foot down when his son asked to buy his own copy of Halo 3. Demanding Daniel give up his sinful ways of gaming, or beat it out of his holy home, the son stumped out angrily and made his way over to his friend's house, where he binged yet more of Bungie's gem over the weekend, clocking in around 18 hours of gaming each night. From our perspective, it was clear that Danny had lost control of his ability to not play the game, but anyone with a clear mind could see that. A couple of days later, Daniel did return to his home, but it was with an unwarranted attachment he knew he would have to persuade his parents to accept. With his own copy of Halo 3 in his hands, he was only too happy to forget about the doldrums of school, and embody that of the elite Spartan like Master Chief, capable of mowing through his problems with quippy lines and a well-placed plasma grenade. When his parents saw what he brought home, however, his father in particular lost his cool, scolded Daniel ferociously, and locked away the still-wrapped game in his safe. Daniel was going to have to see the light, through God or withdrawal, if his father had any say in it. In fact, he worried for his boy's future as they began to constantly bicker over the matters with the past year going on. His wife, and Daniel's mother, Susan, is oddly quiet in the accounts made, but I can only imagine the worried anxiety she must have had watching her family get torn apart over a stupid video game. The father, however, has had enough, and only knew one answer to his life turning upside down. A week after the game was put into the safe, Daniel and his family's world would change forever. Take me through today everything that was going on. I was sitting in my room, and then my dad was just yelling, just screaming at my mom. My dad walked into his bedroom and walked back out. And I heard a gunshot. I ran out there, and my mom had been shot. He pointed the gun at me. And then he said he was sorry, and then he shot himself. Around 7 p.m. of October 20th, 2007, the father, Mark Patrick, had begun arguing with his wife in a bitter feud that's been boiling for days when suddenly gunshots rang out throughout the house. Susan, screaming momentarily, 
swiftly fell into an eerie silence as Mark entered Daniel's room, apologizing to his son, and committed suicide in front of him, sending blood to splatter all over the room. Daniel, in a state of shock, ran out to see his own mother shot to death, her eyes still open and bathed in a pool of her own blood. Entering a state of neuropsychosis, he ran out of his home in a panic where he ran into his visiting sister and brother-in-law, Heidi and Andrew Archer. He shouted to them that his parents had gotten into a terrible fight and screamed in grieving tears as he took off into the family van into the night. An hour or so later, police were able to find him sobbing as they persuaded him out of his vehicle, repeating the horrifying words, My dad shot my mom. My dad shot my mom. As you heard Daniel recounting the dark and shocking tale to the local police, you can really feel for the guy. He lost both his parents in mere moments over an argument of a video game. Did Danny's mother want to convince his dad to let her miserable boy have something to smile over after being cooped up for days? Did his dad, finally having enough, vowed to never see his son surrender his life to video games, ending his own before it happened? All we have left is a poor orphan boy whose only consolation left is his sister and a copy of Halo 3. Or is it? You see, the problem with this story, Daniel's story, is that it's all fake. All the details were fabricated. What you heard, my listeners, was a BS story from a crying boy in an interrogation room, a crying boy that wasn't shedding tears. Here's the rest of the video that includes the officer, Daniel, and his miraculously alive father. You know, we've all been around somebody who they're kind of boo-hooing, but they're not crying. And there's a difference. In a situation where somebody just witnessed their father shoot their mother and shoot themselves, it's very emotional, it's very traumatic. But there wasn't the emotion you typically see in a severe crime scene. I'm sure every parent is shocked to hear about a teenager who tries to avoid responsibility by making up a story. I've never heard of that before. It's, it's not realizing the consequences of their behavior, having this fantasy life that a good story will get them out of it, and that is a function of adolescence. The plan that I had formulated to make it look like my father had done all this was not plausible. Um, it wasn't even realistic. I was in the hospital for, I think, 30 days. They did five surgeries on me. Reconstruction surgeries to my eye socket, the roof of my mouth, my jaw, just all kinds of stuff. I couldn't stop thinking about what happened that night. And the more I thought about it, the more I wanted to kill him. A murder's a big story. And so everybody was very interested in Danny Petrick. There were headlines, headlines, and headlines about it, and there was a big desire to see him punished. There were even calls for the death penalty. What had really happened that night was that Daniel, desperate to get his game back, found his father's key to the safe. When he popped it open, however, he saw his game in something else, a 9mm Taurus handgun. In a fatal stroke of quick thinking, Daniel decided that his father's troubles with him would soon be over. 
Walking into the living room, he asked both his parents to close their eyes so he could give them a surprise. Once they did, he emptied the clip into both of them. His mother died within the minute, bullet wounds to her head, arms, and chest. His father also took several rounds to the head and face and began agonal groaning. Thinking his dad was likely to die soon, Daniel tried to frame it as a homicide-suicide by forcing the gun into his dad's hand. When he was fleeing his double homicide, however, he accidentally ran into his visiting sister and husband and tried convincing them not to go in, lying that his parents were fighting. When they heard the groaning, however, they rushed in, and Daniel, who had the copy of Halo 3 still in his hands, took the family van and fled, not for his safety or for grief, but for his freedom. He was soon caught and arrested, and now you know the story. He's currently serving 55 to life in prison, and his first chance of parole is in 2030. Microsoft actually commented during the trial that they were aware of the situation and that it's a tragic case. That's all you'll ever hear about that from them. I'm sorry for delivering something to you this way, but I wanted to highlight the desperate thoughts people who won't and can't escape from gaming addiction will make when faced with decisions that appraise what is creating the imbalance in their world. Whether or not you can justify this extreme level of thinking is really up to each individual, but we have real and miserable proof that it can happen, and will happen again if left unchecked. I want you to do yourself a favor, if not for you, but for me, for your friends, and for those you love. I get your reasoning for enjoying games, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. Whether it's a reason to spend time with friends, or de-stress from a hard week of work, or a momentary way to escape from a world that's filled with depressing things. As long as you're having fun with your games, that's what is important. If you begin to feel drained from everything else but your time playing games, however, or if you begin thinking of a game constantly, even during your time at work or with your friends and family, checklist yourself. Reevaluate if this game is truly making you happy without sacrificing your social life, your daily routines, or even look around your computer desk and floor. Have you been letting dishes or dirty clothes pile up again just so you don't have to waste time doing something that isn't entertainment? Here's your chance. I'm letting you know it's a good time to fix that. I'm guilty of it too. And no one else knows. It's just between you and me. You don't have to prove it to anybody else. Just make that step. Start with little things like that and see if that baby step is enough for you to reconsider things. For my sources this week, I want to start off with a whole bunch of love and gratitude for those I reached out to and responded, even when it was a tough thing to ask. First thanks go to my friend Nikhil, who you heard at the beginning of the show, and you can find him on Twitter at lr 11 and his wholesome but somewhat heated show known as Cultural Lenses. Next up is Thomas, who you heard intermittently as he had a whole bunch of love and stories to share, and you can find him on Twitter at BarberingViolinus, and as he kindly shared, can be found jokefully laughing and playing games and puzzles over on twitch.tv forward slash barberingviolinus. 
Next, I want to credit Downward Thrust for his story on fighting video game addiction, and you can find him on YouTube. After that, I want to encourage anyone with ear holes to give Dr. K a shot, either through his YouTube channel of HealthyGamerGG, or his website packed with wonderful knowledge, HealthyGamer.gg. The audio clip of Stanley Pierre-Louis and subsequent information was by HBO. Next is Bungie's website that shared access to multiple useful and talented programs to help you get to a healthier mind. Bungie.net forward slash mental health. As well as Guardian's mental health and the Take This program. The Crime and Investigation YouTube channel for information about Daniel Patrick too. Lastly, my source to you for this episode is from myself, Tyler Vitito, And from people like you, willing to learn. Like myself and many others listed here, you are proof that we can change for the better. Also, Wikipedia. Intro-outro song is Nightshade by Adhesive Wombat, and that's going to do it for episode number 5. All those names I just listed will have a buttload of links for you to access in the episode description. Give them a click or this will be all for nothing. I'll see you next episode, and remember, it's okay to stop the grind. Sorry, Casual Master Quest. Love you and see you later. So if you're still here, that means one thing. You probably noticed that the actual episode hasn't ended yet. And the reason for that <laughs> is because uh, my friend Thomas, a.k.a. Barbering Violinist, uh, had a lot to tell. I uh, had was I was hoping to get like uh, maybe five to ten minutes of uh, stories from each of my friends. But uh, my friend Thomas was very... Uh, voluminous he had a lot to say and honestly i asked for it so if you want to keep listening here's another 10 minutes of thomas talking about his handling of video game addiction i'll see you guys next time and i love you and then i never really had a video game addiction again until i graduated college after that uh, which that time um after uh, college finished i had a part-time job, um, but I couldn't get a full-time job for a while after college. Uh, the part-time job was paying the bills because I was living with uh, some of my friends and didn't have to pay that much for bills, thankfully. But my part-time job was working at a family video, so my life revolved around movies and games. My other co-workers were uh, very um, different types of movie buffs, so we had a horror movie buff, we had the romance buff, the comedy buff, Nobody really knew anything about video games, so they all looked to me to be the video game expert for the store. So um, my life quickly became about video games again because I was in charge of inventory there and I was in charge of um, making sure, uh, you know, we had the right uh, games and which games are coming out, that kind of stuff. Do we have enough copies that we can order for the store? Um, <clears throat> and um, so I quickly, quickly got involved with video games again uh, post-college to the point where um, yes, I had some other, uh, jobs. I had uh, a lot of music stuff going on. Um, and, uh, I was very active with, um, those things, but any downtime I had, I would put it right back into, um, 
right back into video games. Um, and I got to a point where I would deny myself the time to um, go get exercise or cook some food. So I started skimping out and cutting uh, back on meals to where I would eat um, less um, meals per day, <clears throat> but bigger meals. And that's not the best for my metabolism. So I became a little overweight, um, not healthy, got out of shape, and um, I needed to get that corrected. So I <clears throat> uh, realized when I had gotten to the heaviest that I've ever been that I needed to fix that. And I was like, hmm, what worked last time to get me out of video game addiction? And I was like, oh, making myself busy. So obviously that's the choice again. So <laughs> got involved with um, a... Um, got involved with a personal trainer and got to the gym, started a gym membership, and um, I picked up more uh, private students. I teach violin, so I picked up more students. I picked up more gig opportunities. I um, scheduled myself more performances. Um, I changed my job um, uh, to one where I would work at more and it would take more of my time, so I just made myself busy again. Um, and then... I realized that, you know, once I started getting healthy again, that uh, I was in a much, much better place mentally. Uh, when I was so focused on video games, um, I didn't have time to enjoy the other things in my life, such as my family or my friends, or I put as much work into my music, and it got really bad. It got really, really bad for me. Um, so I kind of fell into a dark place, um, and I honestly thought video games were my escape for that. Um, uh, from those things that I was dealing with and I spent a lot of my time um, thinking, you know, to get away from my depression that I was in, I had to um, go into this alternate reality or this other gaming world, you know, to escape that. So it was pretty rough, but um, busying myself and getting physically active and um, active professionally again um, with my music and um, that was, uh, what kind of pulled me out of that again. Um, so that was twice that I had overcome video game addiction by making myself busy. Now, uh, I have one more story of video game addiction. I know this is kind of a lot, but video game addiction hit a third time for me. And this one, um, came through COVID and quarantine and, um, starting my Twitch, uh, channel, um, which is Barbering Violinist. <clears throat> Shameless plug. Love you, Tyler. <laughs> but um, <clears throat> my Twitch channel um, kind of fueled my next game addiction, um, but that came in combination and in tandem with uh, COVID when that happened. Um, this was a few years after I had graduated college. COVID hit, started quarantining. Um, I was not able to continue my music career because I was teaching lessons. I was teaching at a school. Um, COVID shut all that down and music became a very low priority. So I lost a lot of uh, work for that. And um, I was in barbering school at the time. And um, even that got cut back way, way, way back. So I wasn't able to get as many clients. I was not as busy there. So I needed something to fill the time. And I got onto Twitch where I met so many wonderful people um, who had um, many games that they enjoyed. And I had so many people that I met that I just love spending time with. And they would ask, hey, hop on this game with me. Hey, do you want to come play this game? Hey, do you want to come do this? And... I was so fascinated by the gaming world on Twitch and um, the opportunities it has provided me. 
So I said yes to every single one of them. <laughs> that obviously went well. So I was very involved with um, many, many games, too many games to where I would say, okay, you're on this day, I can play this game with you. This day, I'll play this game with you. Um, but then it got to the point where I could say, oh, normally, for example, on Wednesday, I would go to the gym uh, with my trainer at this time or something. And then the trainer had to cut because of COVID. Um, and then... Um, I would say, okay, so I can fill that time with game time now. So I would just fill all the little holes in my schedule with game time. And it became an addiction again. And um, it's so easy to fall back into gaming addictions, especially when you have people that you enjoy them with. Now that I can play games that I personally enjoy with some of my favorite people from across the world, yeah, it's great. Uh, but... Uh, that's obviously not healthy to, you know, involve yourself with so many games because it's so easy to fall back into a bad mental place. Um, and, you know, when your life revolves around games, it's hard to uh, enjoy um, things outside of life as much. And I found that I became less physically aware of my surroundings and the people around me um, and what they're going through, what they're dealing with, that kind of stuff. Um, I'm still... Um, very, very much aware of that stuff now. Um, but my big thing now that I've been doing has been um, limiting myself, and which is really difficult to do at first, but um, I've found a way to do that um, simply by, um, you know, limiting myself on certain games, um, games that I found myself extremely addicted to, I would um, cut back the amount of hours that I can play, because um, I used to spend hours every day playing, and now um, there are days where I can't even play because I put in schedule other things uh, before games, like I don't allow myself to play games until my kitchen is clean, for example, or I don't allow myself to play games until this is done, um, and... Um, sometimes if I'm not in the mood to get those things done and play games, then I just still, you know, don't allow myself to play games. I'll, um, I'll figure out ways to, um, put something else, uh, in that place, even if it's not wanting to, you know, do the dishes, for example, if I'm really not up for it, then I will, um, go out for a run or something. Then after I shower, I'll want to get clean, which will kind of trigger, uh, my brain to want to clean, which is weird. My brain works weird sometimes. And then I'll clean. And then I'm like, oh, hey, look, I got things done. Now I want to chill. Then I'll go get to do some games or something. Um, so that just works for me personally, kind of tricking myself, um, <laughs> putting something else in place of game time. Um, it's I, Like I said, I'm a bit weird, and this might not work for everybody. But um, I found also that by uh, limiting my amount of game time, and cutting back on uh, the games that I do play has actually caused uh, me to enjoy them a bit more. Um, because when my life revolved around it, I knew every little detail. I, um, For example, when I got uh, into Final Fantasy fourteen online, I um, was extremely, extremely addicted to it to where I would play that the first... Uh, for the first couple weeks of it, I would play that only. Um, after I got off work, I would drive straight home, I'd hop on the game, I'd go to bed like 20 minutes before I had to be at work, and I'd get up, go to work, and then I'd come home and play the game again. Um, <laughs> it was pretty bad. But 
um, I found by, you know, cutting back or replacing that game time with other things. When I get on Final Fantasy, I know less. And it's like I'm discovering it again for the first time. Uh, it's That's a huge game, for example. But there are other games that have very similar things um, that I get to discover. And by limiting my game time and by uh, replacing that normal game time that I would set for myself with uh, more productive things and um, things to take care of myself uh, personally, I find that when I get to hop on games, I just enjoy it so much more. So that's worked for me. Um, I know I've taken up 20 minutes of your time by giving my story here with this, uh, but um, yeah, video game addiction's been off and on for me. It's been... Um, one where I play a lot, get super addicted to it, and then I have to pull back uh, because I go too far. So it's not easy to overcome it, for sure. It's something that I do uh, still work on. I, at the moment, do not think I am addicted to video games um, because I'm kind of chasing that thought where I want to enjoy them more, and when I play them too much, I don't get to enjoy them as much. Um, and I find myself just sitting there bored and I'm like, why am I doing this? So um, when I limit and when I put other things that are better for me in place before I allow myself onto games, it actually makes a big difference uh, when I get to play the games. So that personally works for me. But yeah, that's uh, that's kind of my story with video games. Um, Tyler, I appreciate you having me here. Um, yeah, I am totally willing to answer any questions or anything you may have um following up or if anything happens you know just let me know i'm happy to answer but i appreciate you and yeah you guys have a good one yeah. <laughs>